0: Hey, everybody! Today we have a really fun interview with George Soroy, who is going to talk about whether it is uh, worth it to go back to early stories that you've written and revamp them. Okay, so it's something that you're probably going to need to think about at some point in your author career, and he's got some really great advice where that goes. Uh, but we will get to that interview in just a minute. Welcome to the Prolific Author Podcast. Let's face it, readers read fiction to feel emotion and be transported and transformed. In this ongoing digital revolution, where online marketing is always in flux, the only way to create a sustainable author business and live off your royalties is to write transformational stories, market at every stage of the author journey, and cultivate a loyal audience of readers. Fortunately, there's never been more opportunity to make a living as a fiction author. Hi, I'm Liesl Hill, USA Today bestselling author and story clarity coach. Do you want clarity on your story, on your work in progress, you know, otherwise known as a WIP? Do you want to know that you've included all the necessary elements to make it a bestseller? Um, If so, you can book a power hour clarity call with me and I will do an audit on your manuscript and make sure that you are where you need to be in terms of your plot, you know, your story, your character, and your pacing, okay? This is available to anyone who has never had coaching from me before, and I'm not going to be doing them for very much longer. I mean, probably another month, month and a half, and then I'm going to move on to different projects and different types of coaching. So this is kind of a limited time offer. And if you are interested in that, go to bit.ly forward slash power hour 97 and book that call with me. Okay. Again, that's bit.ly forward slash power hour 97 so that you can get absolute clarity on your manuscript and know exactly where you need to be and where you need to go. Okay. With that aside, let's see, let's move on to a bit of a personal update. I I don't have a whole lot that's new. I am still working on Intracron. I'm still working on Dragon Magic. In fact, me and my uh, critique group were talking the other night about sort of the woes of working on several projects and trying to jump between them. I think a lot of writers are guilty of this. I certainly am. And, you know, in terms of productivity, it's pretty much been proven that you really shouldn't jump between projects because it really does sacrifice your productivity. Uh, So I really Need to knock that off and (laughs) uh, be a little more streamlined, and I will get there. I really am getting there. I've got about four major projects that I'm trying to get finished up in the next two or three weeks, and then I'm gonna, you know, sort of reassess and and try to keep myself focused on one project at a time. So, yeah, wish me luck with that. (laughs) Um, I'm really close on getting my email swipe files available for people who would like them. So, I've been working on this for a long time um, using. Getting basically the blank templates for you that I use, that I use to nurture my email list and send to them every week. They're different than what other people use, but they're very, very effective. So I've been really working on this as um, a project for a while, and I'm hoping to finish it up on Friday or Saturday. So again, wish me luck with that. I'm really close to finishing it, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, beyond that, let's see. Well, we've had some fantastic wind storms here the last few days. <laughs> Thankfully, uh, the city I'm in, we really did not get the brunt of it. There was definitely some howling wind, but that was pretty much it. You know, we didn't lose power or anything, but I have siblings and friends in adjoining cities where it was way worse. Um, you know, people's garbage cans were being knocked over, and so there's garbage rolling down the street in the wind, and I know that a few people had trees got neck- knocked over in their yards, you know, where it was the worst. So, yeah, that's been kind of fun. <laughs> and, it's, and it's funny because... I've heard people, a lot of people talk about this. Really, the winter is just hanging on this year. That's true here. Every time we think it's going to get warm, we end up having to, you know, get our winter clothes back out and turn the heat back on and everything because it just gets cold again. Usually by now we're much warmer than we are, so we're sort of unseasonably cold right now. But I've heard people talking about that all over, not only just all over the states, but even in other countries, in the UK and and things like that. So yeah, kind of a strange year weather-wise and. It's just a winter hanging on sort of year, but hopefully we'll uh, finally move past that in the spring in the next few weeks. Let's hope so. <laughs> All right. So, um, without further ado, let's jump into the interview. George Soroy is an international best selling author of science fiction. Um, he's done lots and lots of great things, and you can tell he's very knowledgeable about writing and about his journey and about what makes a great story. So, let's hop in and hear what he has to say. Hope you enjoyed the interview. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, today, I want to welcome George Ceroy, uh who is a fiction author. How are you doing, George?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me here.
0: Yeah, sure. Thanks for coming on. Um, why don't we start by uh, just having you introduce yourself and who you are and what you write.
1: Excellent. Yeah. My name is uh, George Saroy. I am originally from New York, but I'm uh, currently based out of uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And I am the author of a five-part science fiction sports serial called From Parts Unknown, which is currently available as one big volume. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have also written parts one and two of a young adult science fiction trilogy. Um, Part one is called Excelsior, part two is called Ever Upward, part two in the Excelsior journey. And my current um, NaNoWriMo project is the latest draft of Greater Glory, part three in The Excelsior Journey. And that's going to wrap up the whole trilogy and um, get everything going toward the next wave of stories that I have already kind of in the queue.
0: Nice, nice. So, um... sorry, give me just a sec. I've got a jet flying over. Um, When you say science fiction sports, what does that mean?
1: Uh, Well, it's based on... Um, modeled very much on the 1975 um, film Rollerball, which was a sports movie of, of its own kind that was set in a distant future. Um, mine is not as quite a distant of a future, and it's more of a, um, more of a sport that, uh, that more people can recognize and not have the whole rules broken down to you the way that they were in Rollerball. Um, so it's, it is science fiction. It is what I call like a dystopia in progress because it's still, there's still plenty of the recognizable world that we know. Um, but there's a whole lot that's going into it. That's pushing it in the direction that will force everything to kind of go downhill. Mm. And it's all, and it's all centered around um, this one sports organization, which is the last remaining sport in all of America.
0: Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And
1: what got you interested in writing that? Uh, that was actually on a, on a specific day when I was a freshman in college in 1995. I was, I had just finished watching um, an episode of Wrestling Challenge on Saturday morning. And I took a walk around my, around the, the area of my dorm. So I used to, I, at that time I was dorming on 77th and Broadway in New York City. And I was on Amsterdam Avenue when all of a sudden like an idea popped into my head, just saying like, wow, wouldn't it be really interesting if all of the larger than life characteristics of professional wrestling was put into a sport that actually that, that, that has all of the um, actual competition as say, like ultimate fighting champ, you know, championship and, boxing and other mma style sports so it's combining the pageantry of of wrestling with the legitimacy of of an actual sport
0: Hmm. and how does the dystopian play into that uh
1: well it was it became an idea of just like well if um if there was a sport such as that what would it be like with the rest of the world? And so I started really kind of giving a lot of thought about how it would likely be, uh, 20, 30, you know, like even 40 or so years out. And so that's what, um, that's what eventually led to believe that, that all the other sports would basically implode upon themselves. So it wouldn't be, um, it wouldn't be an instant thing. There would be like a slow burn and a slow rise for this particular, Uh, promotion.
0: Interesting. Yeah, Um, I'm I'm interested in how that works because I actually write uh, somewhat. um, It's a dystopian. and It's really more like with science fiction elements than an actual science fiction, but it's also futuristic. So that's interesting that you're bringing sports into it. Uh I think that's super interesting. So um, that's great. That's great. Um, Tell us a little bit about your writer's journey. How did you get into writing? How did you... Um, come to be where you are now.
1: Well, it really kind of started back in 1985 when I was in fourth grade, and my friends and I would pass the time in between finishing up our assignments by putting together the these characters that were very much based on all the different '80s shows and movies that we watched when we were growing up. So back then we had we had all the big ones. We had He Man and the Masters of the Universe. We had Transformers. We had GI Joe. We had Voltron. We had all this great stuff. And then we had Star Wars on the big screen. And so um, it was a matter of kind of like taking those elements and basically just, you know, condensing them into something that we would be able to kind of put our own little world together and play with. And Mm -hmm. it got to be a lot of fun. And then the next year when I was in fifth grade, I switched over to a different school and I – lost, lost touch with, uh, a lot of those, a lot of my, uh, fellow students in, um, over at, uh, the school, the school that I had left. And so I basically kind of took those characters with me and just kept on refining them. And it got to a point where even though like they were real, they were very primitive, you can say, um, mm-hmm. I could tell there was something there. There was, I didn't know what it was yet but there was definitely something there. And so to kind of pass the time while I was working with them, I did what is what I've later come to realize was reverse fan fiction, because with fan fiction, you're taking uh, these established characters and you're dropping them into these new situations. What I did was I took my new characters and dropped them into very well established situations. (laughs) I ripped off every single story that was that, that I had at my disposal and it became fun to kind of like basically just pick and choose whatever worked for me and just mm-hmm. drop it into this, into this whole new surrounding. I was basically like Carlos Mencia before he became Carlos Mencia. And so it was, uh, um, it was a lot of fun really just, you know, kind of doing that because I knew that there was nothing that there was, even though I really liked these characters, I knew that at that time, they weren't going to go anywhere past the steno notebook. Um, and so, it was during that time when I started drawing them less and started writing them more. And that was pure necessity because I can't draw very well. And so, <laughs> uh, so I went ahead and, and just started filling notebooks with all this text. And again, ripping off everything in sight, but at the same time, it was creating like something. It was, I was taking right. those moments and yeah, it was like it was as it was as obvious as can be when it came to like what it was that I was that I was going for. But then it was it was fun to kind of like revisit that and then start to tweak it so that it was less obvious and then a little bit less obvious and making it more my own. And that's what that's when things really began to open up and it really kicked off in 1992 uh, when I was a, so- a sophomore in. Uh, in high school and had to take summer school for English. My English teacher and I did not, did not vibe well. And we, um, we got to watch in summer school, the 1981 John Borman film Excalibur, all about Mm -hmm. King Arthur. And to me, it still stands as one of my all time favorite movies because it made me realize I need a new character in my little universe that I have going right now. That is A reflection of King Arthur. He's going to be like this kind of this centerpiece of this whole universe. He's going to have a sword. He's going to be like a godlike form, you know, you know, like a a God put in human form. And then I started thinking about not only taking elements from King Arthur, but also took elements from Jesus Christ and Optimus Prime and wound up kind of (laughs) mixing them up in a blender. And that became my character Excelsior. I always really responded to that word um, having been from New York and then um, moving to Richmond, Virginia, at that time, I really held on to that word. It's a, the word on the New York state flag. Um, it's it's a prominent ship in Star in Star Trek. Right. It's, um, it's what Stanley always used to end his soapboxes, and so it was something that it was a word that really gravitated toward me, and so I decided that would be his name, and. Um, from there on, I was, I was really off and running with it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't think you could ask for a better way to, to get into writing because you were just, it seems like you were just kind of doing constant, like, creative exercises, you know, dropping your characters exactly. into the world. And, and, yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Nice, nice. And so now you're still turning those kind of childhood imaginations into a career and into a moneymaker for you.
1: Yeah, it's not a career yet, but it's definitely paying some bills. Good. And that's good. And, and that's and that's what we all want. Right. It's kind of like what uh what Stephen King said, you know, like if you if you write something and you give it to someone and that someone gives you money and you put that money in the bank and then use it to pay your electric bill, mm-hmm. I consider you talented. So, definitely. That to that to me is something that I have held on to for quite a while.
0: Good. Good. Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: So what, what exactly is your writing process? Have? Like, What do you do to get your books written and how long does it generally
1: take you to get a book written? Uh, oof, that's a good question. Because it, it's really like gone all over the place. Because yeah. um, with, well with, um, I'll, uh, I'll really start off, the first one that really come out was from Parts Unknown. Um, because with that one, it started off as a video game idea, a video game concept. And mm-hmm. when I wrote that out, I thought, well, let's see how it is as a treatment for a movie. So I wrote that. Let's see how it is as a script. And then I wrote that. And then I wrote draft after draft after draft of that script, like over several years. Uh, one, of the, one of the drafts actually made it into the New York International Independent Film and Video Festival wow. um, in the screenplay category, where they actually came up with an, with an award. So that way they can give one to me because it was so different from all the other types <laughs> of of scripts that were there because everyone nice. else is thinking like all, you know, indie and everything I'm thinking blockbuster in my head. And yeah. so they gave me an award, an award called the uh, best futuristic drama. And I still have that frame to this day. Nice. Um, yeah. And um, so I was thinking over and over again, like what I was going to do with this. And then finally in March of 2001, I started novelizing it. Um, but what I did was I, started working on the novel to a point where the, where the screenplay didn't really kick in until like page 50 or so. So it was a real good way for me to kind of flesh out that whole world that I was in. Um, but at the time, you know, like it took me about like a year and change or so to write that version, to write that novel. Um, I finished it in July of 2002. And in 2002, uh, the world of publishing is very different than what it is now. Um, okay. There was... And when I sent my manuscript over to, uh, to an acquaintance who was, ac- who was actually an agent at the time, he recommended that I self-publish and not because of the quality of the work, although looking back on it, might have had something to do with it. Um, <laughs> but, it was, uh, but the idea was a very, very niche market. Ah. And that's something that I've really kind of come, to- come to terms with on that particular story. And so I came across um, the website iUniverse, and that's one of mm-hmm. the many different printers that's out there right now, the different self-publishers. Right. And they were offering a deal where if you pay just 200 bucks, they'll take care of all of the setup that you need for your book and will upgrade you to hardcover at no extra cost. So I said, score, let's go for it. And I had a friend of mine put together a decent looking cover. And we, it was released in November of 2002. Um, All of my friends that were going to get their copy, my family members were going to get their copy. They all got theirs and then it died and then nothing really came of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in 2010, they, I reached out to iUniverse again and I said to them, um, do do you have any sort of deals going on? And they said, if you buy 25 copies of your book at 50% off, then we'll upgrade you to ebook. And at this point, the Kindle is really coming in into play and the self, the Amazon is really starting to embrace that area and right. things are starting to kind of, you know, turn in that direction. So I was excited. I get to, you know, this book gets to be an ebook. Great. <laughs> and then I waited for a year and nothing happened with the ebook.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, so one of my, uh, one, one colleague that I knew at that time because at that point Excelsior had come out and that was also self-published, but it was done through a different, um, um through a different uh through a different company and um it had its own story attached to that but um i was speaking to someone who was working with amazon and she said what other books do you have and i said why well, have from parts unknown and she said do you own it I said like well it's it's being printed by iUniverse she said get your rights back and you can go ahead and release the ebook yourself Mm-hmm. So I did that. I reached out to iUniverse. I said, can I get my rights back? And they had no problem giving it back to me because it wasn't selling. Right. And so, um, and so once, they, once they sent it back, I went through one of those 25 copies that I still had at home. And I read through it. And I realized I didn't like it anymore. I liked the concept, but the writing was definitely not... I could tell that it was, that I had grown as a writer.
0: Right. You become more skilled, Yeah.
1: Yeah. And not only that, but the technology was all dead technology those that, that I was working with in the in the story. Oh. So I so I took about four years or so and gutted that whole thing. Um did, um uh, perfect analogy. Did you ever see the remake of Robocop?
0: Yeah, I think I did. Yeah.
1: Okay. So remember the show me scene where the doctor actually like takes, you know, like uh, reveals to Alex, just how much damage has been done to him. And it yeah. strips away like the entire body so that all that's left is like the head and, and the right hand. Yeah, Yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much what I did. I took <laughs> I basically I blew up that whole story. And I, you know, there was only like a fraction of it left. And all the rest of it was rewritten. And it became this opus this huge thing that it was it looked like it was going to be a brick and so i that's when i thought like well instead of this thing is going to be a niche market on its own so why don't i break it up into much more palatable parts so it became a five part mini series and that was so much fun to do because then i get to decide okay the cliffhanger is here and then it's here and then it's here and then it's there and then uh and get to Um, give about almost twice the amount of space to part five to really give it that sort of blow up opening um, this really big uh, climax that it deserved. And it was so much fun getting to do that, you know, like just getting to really explore so much more. And there was so much more politics that went into it and so many different laws that went into it and, you know, really got to explore how the government is now using this, this league, as a tool of distraction and that's when all of a sudden it became something entirely different and I loved it I was so Mm -hmm. happy with it
0: so when did you finish that and and start uh selling the new version of it
1: um well the I thought it was finished in 2015 and then um after looking back through it and everything um I you know thought you know like all right well let's go ahead and release it as Two separate parts. So part one will have books parts one, two, and three, and book two will have parts four and five. And so that was how it was going for a while. And then finally, I, I just decided, you know what, let's give it one more gloss, you know, one more rewrite, and then let's put it all together into one big book and sell it like that. And that's when I, you know, teamed up with Ingram Spark, and I had some uh, some additional ISBNs. Uh, that were that I'd gotten previously, and I just never used. Um, and then, basically, just went and did the whole route of setting it up on both Ingram Spark and KDP, so that way it would be available on Amazon. And it became something really, really big. And in September of 2019, not only did I get to successfully launch it, but since I had worked for a time at Barnes and Noble. Near me, I was able to use those connections and set up my launch there. And nice. that was a lot of fun. That's yeah. that was so much fun to be able to do that. Um and uh it was it was it was a real thrill to be able to finally say, okay, this story is done. I'm really happy with it. <laughs> you know, and yeah. let's and let's see where else it can go. You know, so So it's out there right now. I went ahead and put it on Amazon for 99 cents for a while as I considered it like very much like a lost leader. And that's like the ebook part of it, just because, uh, you know, this is, people are taking a chance on this, you know, like it is a very niche market. It still is, but I'm really, really proud of how far it's gone. And um, I'm really looking forward to finishing up this one audiobook that i'm editing for a client so i can dive in and start narrating that audiobook
0: nice nice yeah that'll be fun so Mm -hmm. i I mean i would like to um talk a little bit more about how i mean you you keep saying it's a niche niche audience and that's true but there's you know with the amazon and and the way technology is rolling forward there are so many more niche markets than there used to be that have a lot of readers in it Um, that's true so, you know, the, it really opens things up to people who write more niche-type fiction. So can you talk a little bit about how um, just the importance of, of doing the overhaul from something that you'd written earlier and, and, you know, why that was important for you to do and how you think that will, you know, affect you going forward and, and you know, your sales and your readers and, and all that sort of thing?
1: Um, well, it's funny you should say that because so far the three books that are out there have all existed in some other form in the past, um, mm-hmm. with from parts unknown. Like I said, you know, like it's been a video game concept, then a treatment, then many scripts, and then you know, like the 2002 novel, and now it's the 2019 opus that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, Excelsior actually started off as a self-published book in 2010, and that was after writing the orig- the initial draft in 2008 as a Southern cross novel challenge, which is the New Zealand version of NaNoWriMo. Um, Mm. And working on that, you know, working on that first draft for a month and then working for almost two years on the rewrites uh, with my editor. And then, um, and then after that, um, after, after that initial launch, then I reached out to a, to a self, uh, to a, Small press publisher here in St. Louis who wanted it, and mm-hmm. so I was able to give it another rewrite and then add in all the stuff that I regretted not putting in when the first edition came out. Um, right. And then when that publishing house went under, and I got and I signed on with a different publisher, they said, "Do you mind if our editor goes through it?" And that editor, who is just so happens to be one of my best friends. She took a sledgehammer to it. And (laughs) and so I spent several months rewriting that. So there are three different editions of the first Excelsior. And um, Ever Upward, part two, that was, that initial story was, it wasn't complete back in high school, but it was there. There was a definite skeleton of something there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was able to kind of take that and then throw in all the meat and everything and really get it to, where it's now, in my opinion, the best thing I've ever written. Um, wow. But at the same time, I also understand that it's because of that. It's because I, that's been my real um, experience with writing is constantly rewriting stuff that I've done before. Mm-hmm. That's, pro- that's a big reason why part three, Greater Glory, has been so difficult to get through because I never had a completed story for this. For this Mm. one, all I had was just a handful of "wouldn't this be cool" moments. I never took the time to explore it before. Now, and so now it's like it's it's like it's uncharted territory for me uh, by doing this. So it's uh, it's it's definitely a different procedure than what I'm used to. Mm.
0: Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we had not on this call, but we had talked before when we first connected about how um, important it is to you to stick to those original ideas that you started when you were a kid and. Yeah. You said that you're you're really stubbornly sticking to them and and why is it that you say that? Why why the stubbornness?
1: I think it's just because I always knew that there was something there. If I could envision it somehow in, in my head, then it's something that I'm going to I'm gonna stick with. Um <clears throat> excuse me. Um sort of like um, basically just like a stubbornness of I've put all this into it. Why would I just throw it away? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, there are other ideas that I had thrown away, um, but at the same time, they're thrown away, but never deleted. Um, like I still, yeah. have, I still have a couple of scripts that I haven't done anything with in years, but they still exist. They're still on my, um, they're still on my hard drive um so it's 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 really just kind of like um just like a stubbornness of I know this can work because I can see it my editor my story editor uh told me a very a very nice thing uh when we really started ramping up with working together she said that I have a very cinematic style of my writing so like she can she can see how it unfolds on the big screen which to me is just like to me, that's the best thing I could ever hear about my writing because that's all I want. I want to see these stories on the big screen uh, because it was the big screen that, for the most part, that inspired them. So yeah. that's what I really want you know, like, want to see. And um, what, was, uh, what was a definite sign of maturity in my own eyes uh, was a couple of years ago when I came to grips with the fact that the next series that's going to take place after Excelsior is still in the same universe. But it is the firm, you know, the absolute updated, definitive version of all those characters that my friends and I created in 1985. So mm-hmm. it's that whole storyline that I've been curating for so many years now, it's been decades. Um, and I came to grips just a couple of years ago that if I, if I push this is as a young adult, which is what you know, which is what these characters are. I can't just say it's a young adult style, but it's science fiction because they're, the characters are all adults. I have to, I can't mess around with the genre. I have to yeah. make sure that whatever genre I am writing it in, I got to stick with that. And so that's when I realized that um, this general type of character that I've been you know, like working with for so many decades is going to be a little girl, is going to be a teenage girl, and I it was, it was a sign of me just like admitting that I can't keep banging my head against that particular wall. I got to do something different with this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I really like that. I think there's, you know, you hear so often about writers who their first story, you know, for most of us, our first books are not very well written because you know, the skills aren't aren't quite there yet. And most people end up writing off those stories and a lot of times taking them down and, and that sort of thing. But I know with mm-hmm. my first story, I kept, I kind of did what you did. I, I kept rewriting it and re-editing it because it was a story that I really believed in. And I knew that yeah. it wasn't where it needed to be, but I knew mm-hmm. I needed to get it there. So, I mean, of course, it's a personal decision if you, you know, don't want to go back and revamp your first book. But maybe there's something to be said for, um, you, you know, the story that originally got you into writing and inspired you and just going back to revamp that and make it better just because you believed in it once and, and you know, other people can too
1: exactly exactly you know that's 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 how i feel just like i mean i i'm not so like it's it's not like i'm so conceited that the world needs to see my genius or anything like that it's (laughs) just that i just know that there's something there and i may not know what it is right away but it will be discovered and there there were times when i was writing excelsior uh that first book that uh, especially, like, I keep going back to that second draft. The second draft is where things really took off because um, that was where I figured out how Excelsior was going to win at the end. Um, and I also, spoiler alert, and I also, <laughs> um, I also knew that I needed, like, a secondary character to um, secondary bad guy. Um, and I had come up with this one character that I modeled after The Undertaker from WWE, like that sort of imposing menacing force with this long trench coat and everything. And when I pitched that idea to my editor, she immediately said, can it be a woman? And I thought, you know what? Yeah. And then all of a sudden she became something that is become one of my favorite characters. And she was only born in 2010. She's only about 10 years old. Uh, Mm -hmm. She's got a long way to go to catch up to all the other characters. But she is, I'd put her in, like, my top three of favorite characters I've ever written.
0: Wow. Yeah. Nice. I love her. I absolutely love (laughs) her. (laughs) Well, that's paramount. you got to love your characters or it's no fun.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, boy, does she make it fun.
0: You know, that's... (laughs) (laughs) Good. Good. That's awesome. So, I mean, you you said you're going to continue to write the YA books, but what what are your other plans for the future?
1: Um, Well i am also um, I'm also exploring the possibility of shopping of uh, shopping what I have already done around um, mm-hmm. to see if there is anyone that is uh, interested in actually optioning one of these stories to 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 make the transition to the screen whether it 's big screen or small screen whatever um, especially uh-huh. nowadays with you know like with uh, with the theater industry being you know like up in the air the way it is. Right. Um, but, um, I'm, I'm excited for the future because there have been, you know, like just not, not concrete yeses going on, but there is definitely like a little bit of percolating interest here and there. And yeah. it's just a matter of seeing where it goes. I can't, obviously I can't say whether or not it is going to happen. I have faith that it will. Um, but at the same time, I, I think, it, I think that these characters deserve their chance to be seen. And um, I know every writer says that about themselves, about their own characters and everything, about their stories. But um, based, on, based on the journey that I've gone with all these characters, and that includes all the ones from, from Parts Unknown, they've been, I've been holding on to them for a reason. And they are going to let me know what that reason is in time. The only thing I can do is just keep on, keep on getting their stories out there and make sure that when the opportunity comes, I'm ready to take it.
0: Yeah, for sure. So what do you do to shop them around to see if there's interest?
1: Well, with, uh, with from Parts Unknown, I, um, I went ahead and joined up this. Uh, there's this curating site called uh, TaleFlick.com. Uh, T-A-L-E Flick. And it's basically a site where all these different stories, all these different properties are set up and displayed for potential producers to go ahead and take a look at them. And I went ahead and just made sure that my page was nicely upgraded so that way it would get studio notes. And it actually got um, a consider uh, from the, from the, um, from the, the reader. Who went, who went through it and gave some very positive feedback and actually dropped in some ideas that I could potentially take, you know, like and run with once mm-hmm. the time comes to turn that into a screenplay. Um, Cause originally I was thinking five part mini series, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, like I just want it to get out there, whatever format it, it winds up being. So be it. I will do whatever right. I can to make, to, to make that happen. And um the fact that it, that it was listed as a consider meant that it was a quote unquote tail flick pick, which means that, uh, when the, um, when the producers go ahead and look for it, they obviously look for the upper quality stuff. They right. don't want to just constantly run through hundreds of pages of nothing. Mm-hmm. So they'll look for the higher quality books. And then there's, so there's top pick and then there's tail flick pick and mine is a tail flick pick. So that means that it's it's listed as, like the reader said, consider. So that would be something that um, I'm hoping the right person can look at and see that you know, like that um, that something is there.
0: Yeah, that's exciting for sure. Yeah. For sure. So you also have a podcast. Tell us about that.
1: I sure do. Yes, um, my podcast is um, my podcast came about because I was looking through my list of Facebook friends. And I saw all these different people that I went to college with, all these different people I went to high school with, and they're in their own right. They're actors, they're actresses, they're designers, they're writers, they're filmmakers, they're directors, they're um you know, they, they uh they're artists, they're singers, they're musicians, they are stand up comics, they're dancers, you know, like I mean it's it's an amazing it's it's an amazing group that I've been Uh, been been able to connect with in one way or another. Uh And that's when I thought, you know, like, well, these all these really great talented people, they deserve to be known, they deserve to be interviewed on a podcast or something just to show the world that they're there. And then after a couple of months, I realized, okay, so they're gonna come on my podcast. (laughs) and And I get to introduce them. And so that's what really opened things up. And at that time I was already part of a roundtable podcast um, with a friend of mine, with a bunch of other friends here in St. Louis. Cause we have a really thriving writing community here. Mm-hmm. And um, I talked to the director of our show, the producer. And I said, and I talked about what I wanted to do with the show. And I said, I just don't know what to call it. And he looked over my shoulder and he saw my banner for the first Excelsior book. And on the cover, it says part one in the Excelsior journey. Mm -hmm. And so he wrote, he pointed to that and just goes, why don't you call it the Excelsior journey? Mm -hmm. And I look back at it. I was just like, I'll, I'll do you one better. I'll lop off the, the, and just call it Excelsior journeys. So that way everyone has, and that's when things really picked up. And then all of a sudden I looked up uh, Podbean to, uh, be the housing site for my show, and um, got a great setup and everything with uh, with what with uh, what they cost, and everything was going really well right. with that. So I was really excited um, about the possibilities, and now it's I've just passed episode sixty, and nice. um, and even though it's got like a small audience, the ones that listen are you know like are really enjoying it, and mm-hmm. I'm hoping that at some point, like uh, just like with with the other stuff, with with the other screenplays. Um, at some point, the right person is going to listen to the right episode. That's going to prompt them to listen to more, and so the only thing I can do is keep on producing more. Um, sure, sure. And this and this year has just been just this uh, this wonderful um, fountain of great guests that I've had on there. Um, I just I just um, had. Um, seven time USA Today author, Melissa Storm. Uh, the week before that, I talked to Halloween six screenwriter, Daniel Farrens. Um, a couple of months before that, I was talking to Tales from the Crypt producer, Gilbert Adler. Um, I was talking to uh, voiceover actor, Neil Ross. Um, I was talking to Transformers, the movie screenwriter, Flint Dilley, which is to me is like that to me, being a fan of Transformers as far back as 1984 when they first started, that was a huge bucket bucket list <laughs> moment for me. Go ahead, and go ahead. It was just you know like just the the, the the guests that I've had. It's just been it's been a real treat because I've been you know like bringing in those guys, but also bringing in a lot of my friends. So I was able mm-hmm. to kind of keep that keep that going. So it becomes a weekly interview show putting the spotlight on creative people that get to tell the story of their own journey to success.
0: Yeah, that's really nice. That's, I think yeah. that's a great premise for a show. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Thank you. So yeah. Um, thanks so much for, for talking with us today. Before we wrap up, um, what advice would you give to other creatives or other writers out there, especially ones who, you know, might think that all they have is a story they made up with a kid and that's just not gonna, you know, fly today or something like that.
1: Um, have patience. That is, that is the big thing. Have patience. Um, what you produce the first time around will not be what everyone sees. You have to basically just, um, accept that fact. And once you have, then the sky's the limit because then you're giving yourself permission to write crap for that first draft. And once you do that, then you have something to rewrite because that's what writing is in general. And, you have basically kind of like poured the foundation for this house that is going to be your your novel and too many people think are, are trying to pick out the right color drapes when they should still be concentrating on pouring the concrete for the foundation yeah and so that's something that i you know i implore to everyone have patience do not rush this process and don't be afraid of it, don't be afraid of the process. Let it guide you.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I really love that. I always say, um, I think people need more it is what you said, the foundation people need more story craft and more of the basics than they think they need. yeah, <laughs> they yeah. Think because they did, you know once took a creative writing class, that they don't need any more of that stuff, and most of the people who don't and who do you know the people who do the things you told them, you know, not to do, the people who rush the process or are afraid of the process, they end up putting books up that just don't sell. So yeah, I think that's yeah. really, really sound advice.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Great. Well, thank you again so much for being on with us and for giving us your advice and telling us about your journey. I think my my audience is going to really take away some real gems from that.
1: Well, I hope so. I hope so. You know, like anything I can do to, you know, to help out anyone um, that, that is at the, In the end, that's what we do because when one of us succeeds, we all succeed.
0: Yes, very much so. We can help all raise each other. Exactly. Great. Um, so where can people find you and your books?
1: Uh, well, you can find me on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash excelsiorbooks. You can also find my podcast there at facebook.com slash excelsiorjourneyspodcasts. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, George, handle George Soroy, S-I-R-O-I-S. Um, it's all one word, no spacing or anything like that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter there. You can find me on Instagram there. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's uh, yeah, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Those are like the three main spots where you can find me. Um, and you can also find uh, the podcast Excel, itself, Excelsior Journeys. You can find that one. On um, on all different uh, on all different platforms, uh, the main ones that I always talk about are Apple, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, and as of uh, a couple of months ago, Amazon. Um, so you can actually go to your um, to your Echo Dot and say, "Alexa, play the Excelsior Journeys podcast," and it will start playing. And Hi. Uh, which which I really love and you can also you can also hear um um a mini series podcast that I that I did called uh from Duck Till Dark outside the Marvel Studios which is a mini series celebration of all the different uh Marvel movies that were outside the Marvel Cinematic Universe so all the mm-hmm. ones from Howard the Duck going all the way to Dark Phoenix the last uh, X-Men movie
0: great great yeah that sounds like a fun series
1: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And it's something I definitely want to revisit in the future. Just uh, I got some other stuff I need to take care of first.
0: (laughs) Right. There's always 10 projects on the docket, right? (laughs) Always, always. (laughs) What it's like to be a creative. (laughs) Yep, exactly. All right, great. Well, I will make sure and link to all of those in the show notes. And thank you again so much for talking to us today.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Yeah. Me again. Before you go, if you found value in this episode, I would love it if you could leave me a review. Reviews are the best way to show your appreciation and help others find this podcast. Be sure to screenshot it, share it on your favorite social media network, and tag me at LK Hill Books. Remember, the world needs your stories. Only you can change someone's heart with your fire breathing dragons, your mind blowing mysteries, your epic romances, and your intense thrillers. So join the revolution and be a prolific author.